0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And so... I am ready to go. You know, there've been some things that have happened since we did the last show that, you know, I, I wanna address and there's certain things I'm just not gonna address because just because it's draining. You know, you get a lot of this stuff is the same crap over and over. But um yeah, I took last Sunday off. And I did that because I did seven shows in a row and decided to give myself a Sunday off because I don't want to get burned out again. You know, that's kind of easy to do. And so I'll be giving myself off, you know, some time here and there. I can pretty much tell you now that the month of May is going to be um, interesting. I know at least two of those Sundays, and one, definitely I won't be available, but there may be a second one. just depends on how things go and how it all falls in place. So I just kind of wanted to give you guys a heads up as to what's going on. I don't want, want anyone thinking, what the heck is going on with her? Yes, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, I feel rejuvenated. So, you know, I guess that's what I needed. I needed some time to myself and, um, you know, got quite a bit accomplished. And so, guys, you know, I'm like I said, I'm still on cloud nine. You know, life is going well. This whole year started out with a bang in a good way. And so, you know, definitely want to give another shout out to my mentor because, man, it's just, it's amazing. The amazing, you know, she's just wonderful and definitely pushing me in the right direction for, you know, things that I want to accomplish and, you know, just keeping my brain active and that's important for me, you know. So I'm just, you know, really, really grateful for this opportunity to um, right some wrongs and you know, move on with my life. So, you know, hey, I'm happy. And like I said, there's more to come, so just bear with us. You know, the information will be there when it's there. So, you know, I was talking to someone, well, a lot of someones, and we were talking about the last show that I did, which was Bread and Circuses. And, you know, we we're just sitting back and kind of laughing about some of the stuff because, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you you have to laugh in order to not sit here and just bawl your eyes out, right? And what's so interesting about it is, you know, I know I there were a few people that it's not that they were confused. These are just people that like to give other folks a hard time. And as I stated on that show from the very beginning, you know, I was not endorsing or supporting Trump in any way whatsoever. However, when you start looking at the principle of the situation, the way they are treating him is wrong. You know, I want him to lose and all that fun stuff, but, you know, fair and square. And so what's interesting is, you know, my friend brought up, you know, they brought up the fact that we were talking about Trump may run independently because they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that Trump is not the official GOP nominee. I mean, just look at this. And so, when you hear us saying that the system is rigged, that what's happening now is one of the best examples ever. You know, look at what they're doing. And so you know, it's kind of disheartening, disconcerting, you know, a number of different words, disappointing, you know, what's happening. And it's not just the Republicans, the same crap is happening on the Democratic side. And so, you know, I was talking about how they're pretty much coordinating um, Queen Hillary, and basically giving her the Democratic nominee, you know, nomination. And so, You know, like I said, I still think that's unfair to Bernie because they're still trying to write him out as, you know, this is not going to work and he's wasting his time. And I still think that's unfair. He's still in it and he's still doing what he needs to do and he's winning these states. You know, he won again last night. And so I guess I just, I don't understand why they're giving him such a hard time. And, yes, I understand it's about the math, what have you, but what was really interesting about his win was that they split the delegates in half. So he got half and, and Clinton got half, which kind of just nullified the whole thing. So I, I found that quite interesting. Um, and we need to pay attention to what's happening there because I mean what Bernie Sanders has done in regards to coming from behind to being a contender, a real contender, that was you know, that was I I don't even have the words to say it. I mean it was amazing. No one would have guessed that this guy who was polling at three percent initially would actually catch up and be a viable candidate or competitor with Hillary, you know, they I think they pretty much thought it was going to be a slam dunk for Hillary to get the nomination. And Bernie and his crew were like, nah, not so much. And so, I mean, there's a lot of respect that I have for him and his crew and, you know, what they've been able to achieve. So, guys, you know, it's not over yet. As a matter of fact, there are some who are saying that the GOP, um, I'm sorry, that the Democratic nomination, they may have a contested, brokered convention as well. So that's been the latest scuttlebutt. You know, there was an article that came out um, talking about this. And, I mean, that would be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Surprise, you know, if that were to happen. But I don't believe <laughs> that they're going to allow that to happen. So we'll see. Because, you know, like I said last week, if they just just take it from Bernie and hand it off to Hillary, I still believe that Bernie should run as an independent. And then I feel it will be a fair race. At that point, because, I mean, when you have these political elites, you know, making arbitrary rules and subjectively applying them, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's just interesting. But, um, you know, we still have to remember, and this is why you hear us talking about all politics being local, and the Republicans have won the governorships, um, you know, many, many, many states. And, you know, those particular policies, you know, apply to you more directly than federal policy. And I know, yes, federal policy, you know, overrides states' policies. But the thing is, is that when we start talking about, you know, these delegates and how all of that works, you know, all of that goes back to local politics. Which is why it's important for us to vote. And I mean, to be honest with you, again, we're out here. The popular vote is like, we want this person. But then the delegates get to choose who they're going to, you know, um, ballot for. It's just, it's, how can I put it? It's disheartening because <laughs> this is what makes people feel as though, you know, their vote doesn't count. And, you know, you got those of us out here, you know, that are saying, well, no, your vote does count. But then you see stuff like this and, you know, it kind of, it makes you think about the system. It makes you reevaluate things. And it all boils down to the fact that if we were to put pressure on them, things would change. I mean, it didn't take long for them to change the voting age from 21 to to 18. You know, I think that only took like a couple of months. I had to pull the information up, but, yeah, you know, really quickly. And if we were to put some, you know, pressure on them for some of the things that we want, we will get it because we've got to remember they work for us. They want that vote. So, I mean, it's just something for you guys to think about. And to kind of ponder because, um, you know, we have to do something because this is crazy. So anyway, it's a lot going on, and we just got to move forward. Yeah, I know some of you are wondering why the link didn't come up. I'm just sending it now. My computer decided that it wanted to take a break <laughs> right when I was getting everything set up for the show. So my apologies for the tardiness there, but, um, you know, this is, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So anyway, I just posted up the link for you guys. So you can click in and go from there. But, yeah, you know, aha. Uh-huh. Go for it, but, yeah, honey, like I said, it's, it's a lot going on, and, you know, like I said, you have people out there that don't believe in voting, and some of some of the ones out there do believe in voting, but, you know, like I said last week when I was talking about, you know, the pretty much inevitable, whereas Hillary Clinton is going to be the Democratic nominee, and they're going to make sure that and, um, yeah, they're going to make sure of that. And you have a lot of people saying that, you know, if Bernie isn't the nominee, but they're not going to vote. And so last week I was talking about how, you know, that you know kind of plays into white privilege because either way it goes, you know, the white community is going to be all right. They're still going to have, you know, certain benefits, privileges, and entitlements. And, you know, there are people of color as well as disabled people, elderly people, our senior citizens, you know, students, um, women, undocumented immigrants. Hell, I mean, the way that this is going now, I believe that the documented immigrants need to be vigilant as well. You know, it's going to affect all of those other people. And quite a few of you fall in and LGBTQ guys throw them in there. I forget about that. And you know, quite a few of you all, you know, fall into some of these categories. And that even includes secular people, you know, non-believers. So I mean, we really got to think about it. But this is the thing. And like I said, I don't want to vote for Hillary either. You know, she is not. You know, her and Bill aren't. You know the great white hope for the black community like they try to portray themselves as, you know, like I said last week, Hillary is not our friend, and I've stated that several times on this show in the past. So, I mean, it's, I don't want her to win. I mean, I mean, as far as between her and Bernie Sanders, I don't want her to have the nomination, but, again, look at what's happening, you know, <laughs> You know, this is happening on both sides, you know, of the ring. You got the Republicans over here saying hell to the Nall to, you know, Donnie Trump, Donald Trump, and you got the Democrats over here saying, oh, that's never going to happen to Bernie Sanders. So, I mean, I just think it's a travesty no matter how you look at this situation. But, you know, I know it's a difficult choice to make. And trust me, you know, I've been sitting here and we've had discussions and it's like, you know, what the hell is going on? But, um, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't make it any easier when Bill Clinton tries to recreate his sister soldier moment, right? And so that is what happened this week. You know, um, when he went after some of the Black Lives Matter protesters, well, this is the thing. We don't even know if it was Black Lives Matter protesters. You know, that's how it was reported in the news. And I've said that before on the show about how it's unfortunate that any time, you know, you have black protesters out there that's automatically, you know, attributed to Black Lives Matter. You know, and that's that's unfortunate, but, you know, huh, Bill Clinton, he knew exactly what he was doing, guys. No, you know, just that whole situation seemed a bit contrived to me. Then if you go back and you look at it, it was a rather small, intimate group of people. Wasn't a lot of folks there. think it was less than 200 or right at that. And of course, you know, they screen these people before they go in, so they saw the anti-Hillary, you know, poster boards. And usually, you know, sometimes they try to filter people out, but I don't know, it's just something about that that did not feel right to me. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but I mean, I definitely want you guys to keep your eyes open for the possibility for a contested convention, you know, because this right here, you know, no one thought that Bernie Sanders would be giving Hillary a run for her money. So it's important that we keep up with that and that we understand. And, you know, the Sanders campaign, you know they they feel like you know they're really gonna do it, so uh, ha, they're fighting all the way to the end. So you know again um, keep an eye out on that. And personally, if it is a contested convention, that's going to be absolutely wonderful. This is the first time ever. That I've looked forward to both of these conventions, the Democratic one as well as the Republican one, because, guys, we got to watch the Republican one because I think that's going to be a hoot. So, you know, <laughs> I can't wait to see what's going to happen. You know, I don't like reality TV, but this right here is a little juicy. So, you know, and, and plus, this one right here definitely has a direct impact on my life and yours as well. So, you know, keep up with it, pay attention, and see how this goes. Right now, you know, they're looking at Pennsylvania, New York, and California, and they're humping. They are humping, and they want this. And like I said, they have to give Bernie Sanders a lot of credit, you know, and especially how he was initially, you know, interrupted by, you know, different protesters. And, you know, just look at what happens. So, anyway, like I say, guys, pay attention to what's happening. If it's a contested convention, that is going to be really fun. So, you know, of course, you have people like me, you know, political junkies. And, you know, it's just going to be fun. I can't wait to see how all that rolls out. So, anyway, getting back to Slick Willie you know, Bill Clinton, you know, I've said on this show before, you know, and I don't hide, you know, how I'm feeling about, you know, different people and, you know, their politics and this right here, you know, because, again, if Hillary is the nominee, we'll be putting the Clinton team back in office. But if we don't vote for Hillary, who the heck knows is going to be, you know, the Republican nominee? You know, they were throwing around Ryan's, um, Paul Ryan's name, um, Scott Walker. We all know about Ted Cruz and Kasich. And like I said, I don't like any of them. And it's just the whole thing is interesting because I don't like anyone on the Democratic side either. So, you know, that right there is pretty much the same, you know, same playing field. But, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, I'm just sitting there, and I don't understand why people of color, namely black people, are giving the Clintons a pass. And this is why, you know, you see some of these protesters out here bringing up all of these issues. Now, let's not forget 2008 when Hillary was running against Barack Obama and some of the, you know, <laughs> racist comments that were being made in regards to him, I remember Bill Clinton saying something to the effect of, after everything we did for you people. And, and, and that's, that's what's interesting because, I mean, you all hear me critiquing Bill Clinton's administration and I always talk about how it was an inflated economy, you know, and there was a lot to that, not only because they were constantly you know dishing out money to inflate the economy, but you gotta remember he deregulated you know basically you know not totally, but there were some things that were deregulated with um the stock market, and so this is when they started being able to sell. <laughs> you know, with impunity. Um, a lot of those worthless pieces of paper that we paid for in 2007 and 2008 when the mortgage and the real estate industries pretty much went belly up. And so you got to think about it. You know, you got to go back and take a look at it. You need to go back and take a look at his role in the crime bill and NASA and It's just a number of things that were extremely problematic, you know. Don't forget NAFTA, and so, like I said, um, you have that, and then you have, you know, Hillary making comments about you know black youth being super predators, and you know what Bill Clinton did when he was talking to those protesters and telling them that they were, you know, defending. You know, so called rapists, so called murderers, and, you know, and more. But that's the thing, you know, the way that he did that, I mean, it was extremely condescending. And again, you know, it's not as though people aren't wrongly jailed. We still have people being released from jail 30, 33 years later because the DNA didn't match and, you know, you have people recanting testimonies, and there were a number of incidents, you know, of this happening, but, um, yeah, you know, he took all of this personal, because I guess one of the signs read, Clinton crime bill destroyed our communities, and so he's been kind of trying to backtrack on some of these things, and, you know, he's admitted some fault in a few others, but, The thing is, is that that's true, that that crime bill did, you know, an exorbitant amount of damage to our communities, you know, it's horrific. And what's interesting is that Hillary is basically stating in so many terms that she's not going to go back and correct some of the mistakes that were made by her husband. You know, and so that's something that I feel that we should all be looking at and thinking about because, you know, again, while we're protesting these things and bringing the information up, you know, we have to have policy changed. And, you know, what's, you know, disheartening about this whole situation is Hillary is still blowing off the black community. I mean, just look at her. Look look at the things that she's saying. You know, as a matter of fact, she told that one African-American woman to go and run for an office. You know, very condescending, extremely cavalier. And so, again, um, it's, it's just interesting. You know, I'll give you, you know, one of the quotes from Bill Clinton. And mind you, this happened in Philadelphia. For those that aren't familiar, you want to look it up yourself. Basically, he said, you are defending the people who killed the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. You know, for those of you um, back in the day, Bill Clinton had a sister soldier moment, and he went after her. And, you know, it's just interesting, you know, how this history is replaying itself. And that's one of the things I stress to you guys all the time, that, you know, history does repeat itself. It just has different names and different players. But, you know, Bill Clinton seems like he doesn't want to let go. And like I said, that whole situation, like I said, it seems very contrived. And, you know, what's interesting is for him to be a politician, you know, he's taking all of this personally, and he seems to be reacting, you know, in a very emotional way. And so it's interesting. Like I said, um, you know, just look around, read some of these articles that are out here. And, um, you know, but I have a question for the black political class, you know, that supported the crime bill and supported a lot of the policy that came from the Clinton administration. I mean, how do you feel about this now? And now I'm talking to the voters just all across the spectrum. We really do have control. I mean, if we get out of here and we protest enough and put enough pressure on them, there are a lot of things that can and will be changed, you know. And so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, he's out here and he's attacking you know, the the black community. And it all boils down to, you know, some of the Clintons' policies, you know, basically they threw us under the bus, you know, on several occasions. And it's going to happen again this time. Like I said, just pay attention to Hillary. Pay attention to her responses. Just pay attention to all of that. And um, you'll see what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You'll see what's happening because it's, it's rather difficult to not see it, you know. And, um, you know, I'm just looking at people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpen and, you know, we got Michael Eric Dyson and, and all of those people, you know, that are defending the Clintons and basically caping for them. Now, you know, in particular, with Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, uh, just go back and learn their history. And, again, as I've stated before, people pay them to go away. And they've definitely, you know, financially benefited from being so-called black leaders. So just go back. And when you look up Bill Clinton and Sister Soldier, you know, he was tripping about, you know, a song that she had. And it was called The Final Solution, Slavery's Back in Effect. And, uh, you know, he was not, you know, happy about that. But, you know, I've talked about how Ronald Reagan was, you know, a perpetual racist. And how, you know, he made policies and, that basically put us back into slavery. And it's it's interesting because, um, you know, if you go back and you take a look at some of the things that Noam Chomsky said, as well as Robert Wright, and, you know, go and look it up. So, anyway, <laughs> you know, that whole thing was, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah and, you know so he used sister soldier and he used those protesters as a vehicle to to let the white people know that you know that he's not going to take it Hillary's is not going to take it these people will know their place they know their place and we're going to keep them in it and that's how i see that you know and it's it's unfortunate but I'm glad, that you know, there's a lot of writing coming out about this particular situation. And, you know, they're tying a lot of this back to Sister Soldier. And again, you know, basically this is his way of showing that, you know, not only was he going to defend his wife, but they're tough on these, you know, these troublemaking colored people running around demanding answers. Who, how dare they? Who do they think they are? And so guys, look it up, look it up, look it up, because this you know it's 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 amazing, you know, and they're describing these as key moments, you know, and they they call themselves making a bold stand against certain extremes in their parts, and you know basically the way that I see it is what Bill Clinton did was the same thing that Donald Trump has been doing, you know, in regards to some of the confrontation with the many, many, many protesters. And it was calculated. And don't ever think that that was a spur of the moment type of thing. It's not, you know, and then I find it interesting because, you know, they categorize these people as special interest groups. And so, um, again, you know, go out there and take a look because, you know, this is a matter of reputation. And basically, you know, they're trying to show that, you know, these moderates and centrist voters that, you know, they have control and that they are not necessarily beholden (laughs) to tradition you know, to, you know, the status quo, if you will, an unpopular opinion. And so, again, go back, you know, and what happened or what's happening there is now, you know, he tried to walk it back the next day a little bit. You know, he he was thinking about apologizing and, you know, just looking at the whole thing. But I'm pretty sure people in Hillary's camp, you know, told him that he needed to chill out with that because that's what happened in 2008 as well when he went off script and seen, <laughs> you know, Bill and Hillary, you all don't have it yet. and. Creating situations like this is definitely not going to help you. There are more and more people looking at Bernie Sanders, and there are a lot of people switching their votes. And it doesn't help when you decide to go out there and chastise, you know, different community groups and organizations like their children. Instead of standing up and taking responsibility for the catastrophe that you created through your administration and policies that were passed and you signed off on, period, you know, because we're still suffering the effects of that now, you know. And so what's interesting is, you know, there are a lot of people becoming multi-multi-millionaires, soon to be billionaires from the, you know, the deregulation of marijuana, but yet you still have, you know, a shitload of offenders in jail. And so what they're doing is, you know, they're um, basically going back and looking at the laws, and, you know, some people are being released. Some are having their sentences reduced. But it, it primarily affected communities of color. And now, you know, communities of color are being shut out of you know having marijuana dispensaries and and the farms, you know 'cause i I told you all about that about a month ago about how black farmers are being shut out of that particular industry, right? look it up, pay attention, and so I mean, just go and take a look at it, but yeah, you know this is interesting because you know automatically. The protesters were called Black Lives Matter protesters, and that, you know, that's debatable if it was BLM people. But, I mean, go back, pay attention, and, um, you know, like I said, the Clintons in particular deal doesn't want to be held accountable for the legislation that he supported, And, and, you know, and Hillary supported it too. You know, it's not like she's going to stand against her husband, but the fact that she's saying that, you know, there are certain things that she's not going to revamp and address and make right, you know, that's called support. So, you know, again, like I said, I want you guys to go out and look at that information and take a look and do some research on the war on drugs. And especially when it comes to marijuana, you want to go all the way back. Because marijuana was criminalized because, you know, people of color were also smoking it, namely black people. You know, and if you want to get really deep, go and look up, you know, black people war on drugs, marijuana, and jazz music. And it'll start tying, you know, some of these ends together. And it'll start making sense to you. So, you know, again, I'm challenging you to go and do your research and to understand what's happening here. And it's just interesting because you have a lot of white people, namely white youth, that are enjoying the benefits of marijuana, but also um, heroin and meth and a number of other things. And so I find it interesting how, you know, (laughs) the political parties or the political elite, how they went from being, you know, having a hard stance on, put them in jail, let them kill each other, let them duke it out, And, and, you know, just, you know, having these hard laws to now they're trying to be more compassionate, And, you know, deregulating, and it's just amazing because, I mean, even back then, there were more white people abusing drugs than black people, but we're always used as the scapegoat, and this is, you know, some of the things that I talk about, we're always the scapegoat, and this is why you hear me talking about how anti-blackness is an industry, you know, because I mean, I've had relatives that have been incarcerated, and they said that being in jail is like, you know, being a slave. They don't like it there. Trust me, they don't like it there. And so, you know, go back. You say, you know, and like I say, you heard me talk about the three strikes and you're out, and, you know, different provisions that they had for repeat offenders or they would call them habitual offenders. And again, these policies, you know, you know, they've they've destroyed a lot of communities. But now that, you know, it's kind of growing out of control in white communities now they want to advocate for rehabilitation and advocate for you know, being softer and gentler and kinder and you know, it's it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And so and then what, what really gets me is that you'll hear these people um saying, Well, you know, we've changed our stance on it, you know, Chris Christie as well as the guy the the guy from Baltimore that was on stage with them, Raina's mayor. So, you know, Um. yeah, it's just amazing, you know, how much, you know, things have changed. And the thing is, is that, you know, what I really want you guys to understand is that Bill Clinton, sometimes that guy speaks and it just blurts out. And it's the same thing that Trump does. Sometimes they speak without thinking. But what Bill Clinton said to the Black Lives Matter, so-called Black Lives Matter protests, I still don't think they were BLM people. So I'm going to keep that out of my mouth. You know what Bill Clinton said to the protesters, okay? Um, He was extremely honest. And see, um, (laughs) you know he's done harm to our community. And, you know, he told us exactly how he feels. And what's interesting is is that, you know, I'm still tripping on that article from the National Review. It's going to be a while before that leaves my system. But you had wealthy, elite white people telling working class and poor whites exactly how they feel about them. And so this is one of the reasons why you all hear me talking about some of these progressive liberals being racist. How many damn examples do we have to give? Why do we have to give examples? For those of you who call yourselves our allies. Come on. That has been set. You can comprehend. You can read. Just like we can. And you see this shit. And you know exactly what it is that they're doing. And then when we call it out as being racist, We're being told that we're being hypersensitive or, oh, no, that's not what he meant, so here comes the white splaining. Look, if you're truly anti-racist and you're truly an ally, that's one of the things that we need for you all to start doing, confronting that bullshit, shutting it down immediately. You know, those are some of the points that we gave to people last year, When we were telling them that, you know, these are things that white people can do and do on a consistent basis, you know, this is pretty easy to do, contest it, you know, um, put things into its proper context, you know, and so again, you know, like I said, go back and, you know, take a look around and see what happens because, you know, you know, it's just interesting about how you had black people, you know, calling Bill Clinton the first black president just because he went on the Arsenio show and played the saxophone and also because he has the reputation of enjoying black women which takes us to a whole different category, you know, different category of, um, you know, black women being fetishized, but that's not what I came to talk about today, and so, I mean, (laughs) sometimes I look at this stuff, and I'm like, am I dreaming? Is this shit really happening? And the people that should be out here saying something about it are as silent as they can be. I mean, it's it's deafening, the silence. And for those, again, those of us who rail against this, man, you know, we get thrown under the bus time and time again and you know what's unfortunate is that you know in some cases it's by progressive liberals i mean bill and hillary are supposed to be progressive liberals you know i would love for them to take that check your bias test and make their results public but we know that's never going to happen and so <laughs> <laughs> just you know um <laughs> Oh, and I'll quote, I'll tell you another story about a place where black lives matter, Africa. If I didn't know any better, I would have sworn that was Donald Trump speaking. La, 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 la. Or one of Donald Trump's supporters. La, la, la. And so, so this is why I'm sitting back. And we've talked about, you know, these mentalities, these mob mentalities, and you know what what seems to be inevitable at this point. And I don't want I don't want to see this happening. But if we keep allowing people like Trump and Clinton and you know a lot of these progressive white liberals, we keep giving them a pass. And, you know, Trump calls himself a conservative, you know, Republican, whatever that is. Um, ooh, we're going to have problems. We're getting ready to have some serious problems. Not that we don't have enough on our plate now, you know. And um, child, all I say is be ready. Be ready. You know, um, be ready to defend yourselves, you know. I mean, not only with facts and information, but not quite sure what's getting ready to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen all over the United States. It may only be one or two concentrated places. And, again, I know there are some people out there like, what the hell is she talking about? Go up and look up the history of violence in this country, the race riots. And this is how a lot of this shit gets started. You know, but this has been bubbling to the surface for over a decade, really a couple of decades here, you know, because that white rage, that white resentment is, you know, it's apparent. You know, I remember when I lived down in Atlanta. Now, one thing I will say is I respect, Open racist at least I know what the hell you know where you, what, you know where the hell your head is and what you think now you come to somewhere like Chicago where I am, you know you really have to you know read between the lines and pay attention because it's subtle here, but Chicago is actually more racist than a lot of these southern cities that people point to. Chicago is actually the most racist city. In this country, you know, and if you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. Believe that. You know, a lot of people, when I started talking about Michigan being one of the most racist states, it is. And what's interesting about that is that Michigan has the highest Muslim population in the United States. And so that's why we find it troubling when you have people like Ted Cruz saying that they're going to go and monitor Muslim communities. I mean, they say the same thing about the black and Latino and Native American communities. They say the same thing. And see, and this is what I don't understand is when I see, you know, black people recapitulating these ridiculous talking points, And what I try to get them to understand is what you're advocating to have done to, you know, these, you know, Muslim neighborhoods, it's the same thing that's happening to our neighborhoods. It's not a thing of the past. It's still happening. And now, as of late, because they want a new social contract, you know, they were already killing us, you know, on the street like we're dogs. You know, it's just that it's getting more and more publicity. This is part of that social contract. My people go back, go back and read, you know, and, you know, what's happening now, you know, like I stated before, you know, it's been bubbling, you know, under the surface for a while, and you just had Donald Trump come and rip the scab right off that sore. You thought it was healing, and it's really infected. You know, a festering inferno waiting to happen. And so, you know, guys, don't be fooled. You know, again, there's a lot of propaganda in the news. There are a lot of people who have written this off. And, you know, what? how many more examples do you need? Because, like I said, Bill Clinton did this in 2008. And, you know, it's the same shit now. You know, and it's just like, you know, that political correctness was, you know, ripped away. And so, you know, he told us how he really felt. He's showing you who you are, who he is. Believe him. This is what he truly believes. This is what I'm... Wow. <laughs> you know, um, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, we have a long way to go. A lot of policies that need to be overhauled. You know, and again, I'm talking about systemic and institutional um, racism. And um, one thing that I will give these protesters is they are putting pressure on them. But is going to take more than just yelling at people. We're going to have to put real pressure on them. And, again, you know, what happened in Chicago and Cleveland, you know, that's key. Okay? We voted Anita Alvarez out in McGinty. He was voted out, too. And we need to vote all of these fools up out of office, you know, basically putting pressure and forcing their hand to change some of these policies. And, you know, I'm not going to bite my tongue. You know, we're going to get rid of Ron Emanuel, too. We almost got rid of him with Chewy Garcia, but we didn't have enough people go out to vote in the runoff, but that's okay. We're going to, you know, Rahm Emanuel, you're gone. We're going to get rid of you and Governor Rounder. And, again, you know, you got you know, Pastor James Meek, who's been appointed, you know, chairman of the board of the Illinois State Board of Education. And, yeah, Corey Booker, who was appointed to, and he's a pastor as well, he was appointed to the Tollway Board. And, you know, there are a number of other black pastors here you know, a number of black pastors here in Chicago that supported the Republican governor or well, the Republican candidate when he was running because we had an incumbent um, Democrat in office. And so, guys, you're gone. And I'm just looking at some of the members of, you know, Salem and, you know, Booker's Church over there. And, I mean, same thing, you know, um, Larry Schrotter, same situation, you know. He sided with Rounder, you know, and Larry Trout, um, Trotter guys. So just to kind of give you, you know, so some of you all can remember, because I know some of you are like, we no, I've never heard of him. That was the pastor that had that controversial um, picture out there, whereas he was in a bathtub with his granddaughter, and then when they were having their little Easter program. It was his granddaughter that they had tied to the to the cross. So that's who that is, Larry Trotter. So, you know, go and look that up. And so, again, you know, like I said, I can appreciate a racist person just being openly racist and letting us know where they're coming from and what they stand for. And Bill Clinton made that easy. I mean, look, and this is not the first time he's made you know, these types of comments. So, um, hmm. you know, we've supported Bill and Hillary. You'll hear people in our community saying, well, they're supporting Hillary because she was faithful to Bill. And it doesn't have anything to do with her being faithful to Bill. It was her, you know, some of her aspirations. Bill Clinton didn't become president without Hillary being there by his side and encouraging him and strategizing, you know. And, again, she always knew she wanted to run for president, and those were her political aspirations, and Bill also knew it. And so it's beneficial to the both of them to remain in that marriage, if you will. So, I mean, guys, none of this is an accident, And so, yeah, you know, I'm just, like, looking, and, you know, I had one of my white allies call me, and we talked about it, and they were extremely upset about Bill Clinton and and what he did, you know, and, I mean, it's done, you know, irreparable harm to our community, and this is making it even harder to vote for Hillary, you know if if they give Hillary the nomination, you know, I'm even over here questioning everything because it's like I mean we're damned if we do, and we're damned if we don't, and it doesn't matter if you're on a Republican side or if you're on a democratic side. I mean racism's partisan you know, and that's what I need for you guys to, you know, understand that um, it's just interesting. Um, I remember talking about politics and about the haves versus the have-nots, excuse me, and you're starting to See that, like I said, with that article from the National Review, that shit just floored me. Absolutely floored me. And these were rich white people saying it to working class and poor whites. You know, most people that are working class are the working poor. You know, let's make sure, you know, we get that understood. And they're only one or two paychecks away from disaster. So I'm just telling you guys, you know, pay attention to these particular tropes about black deviance and, you know, anti-blackness. And it's just amazing because they use black people in the black community as, you know, as an example. other people. This is not how you want to be. This is not who you want to emulate. And it's an industry. And, you know, they make money off of it. Trust me. Poverty and fear, all of that, they're industries and they make money from it. So anyway, um, I just hate the fact that the Clintons are using black and Latino people as props. Same thing is happening with Republicans, you know, using communities of color as their props. And they, you know, put us out there when they need us and <laughs> and 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 then throw us under the bus and we forgive them. And this is why you hear many of us saying well, I'm not forgiving shit. So Guys, I mean, really, really, go back and educate yourselves on this and understand why there are a lot of us that don't want to vote for Hillary. I really don't. Um, And that's why part of me is really hoping that it's going to be a contested convention and if it doesn't come to that, if Bernie runs independently, and, of course, you know, one of those Republicans run independently, you know, the scuttlebutt is not only is Trump um, thinking about the possibility as running as an independent, so is Cruz. And so if that happens, I think Bernie Sanders would be doing him himself a disservice to not run as an independent. And to be honest with you, if you have one or two Republicans running as independents and Bernie running as an independent, I believe Bernie will win. So that's something that, you know, I just want you guys to think about. And um, it's just amazing, you know, because you got people... Moving these different communities around on the chessboard, you know, using our communities as pawns in an effort to save them themselves and what's important to them and their cronies. And so, um, man, I'm telling you guys, you know, it's just amazing you know, I'm just looking at this one article that was in Cos- um, Cosmopolitan, and it was talking about um, Bill Clinton going to visit black churches and playing his little saxophone and having this Southern Baptist charismatic swag, right? He's has swag. And amazing. You know, the people that we trust, the people that we put our you know, hopes and dreams and are the first ones to throw us under the bus and to keep us under the bus or to make sure we know our place. And, I mean, if you want to see another example of it, you know, go and see what was done to Lonnie Guineer. You know, just go back. You know, when he um, nominated her to be the head of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division and then later abandoned, you know, the nomination and didn't have the courtesy to call her up and tell her. She learned about it on the news with the rest of us. What kind of shit is that? I mean, seriously. So (laughs) I just, I'm telling you guys, this is like, you know, having your eyes stapled open to watch a horror movie, you know, and and this is real life. This is better than any reality TV or TV show they have on. I don't watch the crap because I mean, watch the news. That's reality TV enough. So, <laughs> you know, is 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 extremely clear that you know when when black people in particular speak up and question people or critique. You know, um, Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton or any, you know, white person, you know, the, we'll just say the backlash is immediate and it's harsh. And so it's interesting because it's not just in politics. You see that shit all the time. You know, how dare you speak up and question and critique us? You know, we know what's best for you, people. So that shit is funny, oh, my goodness, and not funny in a good way. So, yeah, that's what's happening there, and um, look it up. I mean, it's troubling, extremely troubling, and we should not let up, you know, we should not run to our proverbial, you know, corners, you know, keep holding him and Hillary accountable, you know, and so it's just, it's amazing, but we can't let that pass, and the thing is, is that this is not anything new, Clinton, Bill Clinton has been like this from the very beginning, you know, um, yeah, they don't want us questioning things, they don't want us critiquing things, I'll tell you this, If you have people around you who feel that they're above being questioned and critiqued, you need to ask yourself why. Why do they feel as though they should not be critiqued and questioned and, you know, challenged? You know, that's the mark of a very, very weak leader. And what's interesting is is that the people that they surround themselves with will basically back that shit up. But they do that while making, you know, um, defaming <laughs> <laughs> critiques themselves of the same people that they're defending. But they never want that to get out, that you feel that this person is problematic, but for the sake of accepting You're going to hold your tongue, bite your tongue. And, you know, the whole thing is just, you know, it's outrageous. And you see this in all communities, trust me. Trust me. It's some shit I can tell you. And to be honest with you, I will be telling you soon, you know. And so for those of you that are out there, (laughs) you know, I hope you had a chance to read Michelle Alexander's response to Bill Clinton, and I'm going to post that later on. I always say I'm going to post stuff, and I just really haven't felt like posting anything. I feel like most of you have already read a lot of this, but, um, yeah, I'll try to post it, you know, um, put that information out there. And so, um, yeah, you know, you want to go and look at you know, Christopher Booker's um, information or his his talking points on this here. And, you know, he was talking about the Clinton central role in the incarceration binge in the black community. So um, go and look that up, you know, and all of this evidence is available and it's damning. You know, but yet people are still loyal to the Clinton dynasty because, to be honest with you, I'm waiting on Chelsea to run. And I find it interesting because, you know, you'll hear Hillary repeat some talking points about um, Wall Street. Go and look up who Chelsea's husband is. Go look that up. That should be fun go look it up, and um, then get back with me. So, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah, you know, if you all haven't done it yet, you may want to read that book. I believe it's called The Paradox on Class, and it kind of falls in place. It explains some things. I believe I even talked about it on the show, but it's a lot more that, you know, I want to address. And so, yeah, I'm going to go back to a structured um, a structured platform in regards to, you know, these shows. I just needed some time off, and I'm constantly reading, and, you know, there are a lot of other things that I'm dealing with behind the scenes. So, you know, my time has been scattered at best, and so and it doesn't help when I get sick, you know, on top of all of that. So that's why you'll see me taking breaks here and there just to make sure that um, that I'm um, I don't burn out again because that's very easy to do. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's a lot of reading that comes with what I'm putting out there. So, you know, I'm constantly reading stuff. I don't watch television. I mean, I have cable, and it's on. It really watches me, and I just like the background noise. Even though Raina has corrupted me and has me watching these different shows on on, uh, Netflix, there's this one show that I definitely want to recommend to you guys. It's called Top Boy, T-O-P-B-O-Y, and it's kind of like – Great Britain's version of The Wire. And so there were only two seasons, but from what I understand, Drake wanted to invest in them to continue that show and possibly bring it to America and have it based here in Chicago. So the name of the show is Top Boy, T O P B O Y, and it's actually outstanding. Oh, that was outstanding, guys. So, you know, you go and check that out. It's really, really good. And so, um, yeah, and I've been, anyway, moving on. (laughs) But, yeah, go ahead and um, go and look it up. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, go and read up Michelle Alexander's response. Maybe I'll give you all a couple of quotes because, I mean, you know, her response was outstanding, you know, talking about him and his almost apology, you know, and it's amazing. It's amazing what we allow some of these people to do and what we allow them to get away with, you know. And um, here's one part she said. It is a gross distortion to suggest that black people wanted billions of dollars slashed from child welfare, housing, and other public benefits in order to fund an unprecedented prison-building boom. It was Bill Clinton's deliberate political strategy, one he championed along with the quote-unquote new Democrats to appeal to white swing voters by being tough on struggling black communities than the Republicans had been, ramping up the drug war and gutting welfare. And so, you know, what's interesting there, and that was Michelle Alexander. that was a quote from her. You know, and I remember this because, you know, I've told you guys before that, you know, I was a young black Republican and I lived a little, but, you know, the Republican platform has changed over the years. But when Bill Clinton started making those flashes and changes, what's interesting is you had Newt Gingrich, good old Newtie Newt from Georgia who said that Bill Clinton basically lacked compassion. And even he had an issue with what Bill Clinton was doing, and he even saw the long-term effects of that. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not supporting good old nudie news, but to have, you know, he wasn't the only one who said that, you know. And what was interesting is, and yes, I used to listen to quite a bit of Rush Limbaugh, And, you know, what's interesting about that whole thing is, um, you know, one day Rush was talking about the black community. You know, he does that every day. But in particular, one day he was talking about our community, and he said the biggest problem, the main problem he sees in our community is that we're depressed. And so, you know, those are some of the things that actually made me start looking at these things a lot differently because during the time of Bill Clinton, you had, you know, people of color running out there to get, you know, mortgages, to buy homes because, again, Bill Clinton helped to deregulate, you know, that particular um, industry. And you had some of these pastors out here talking about the Lord wants you to have a house And all of these things, and I remember watching all of this transpire, and I mean, even in 2007, 2008, when all of that was happening, I was just looking at it because it wasn't adding up. The math was not adding up. You know, if you make $8 an hour, you cannot afford a quarter of a million dollar house. You just can't. But I saw it happening across the board. And these people lost their shirts. A lot of, you know, minority wealth was lost, black wealth, Latino wealth, because um, black people and Latino people like to invest their money in real estate. You know, this is something that has been happening for over, you know, a century here. And so um, it's just interesting because, you know, you need to understand how all of this came about, and like I said, it was an inflated economy to begin with, and, you know, black the black community thought that they had arrived and that Bill Clinton helped them. No, you know, we're paying for that now. It started in 2000, really started in 2000, 2001, but, you know, officially it started in 2007, 2008. 10, 15 years from now, we're going to pay for what the Obama administration did. And this is why we tell you to get engaged in the, you know, the political process and understand these bills that they're signing and how it's going to impact our communities, whether it's direct or indirect, you know. And basically, it was just interesting because, um you know, she was talking about Bill Clinton, you know, driving a wedge between the protesters and John Lewis, you know, because he said, you can listen to the protesters or you can listen to Congressman John Lewis, the last remaining hero of the civil rights movement. And, you know, what's interesting with that point right there is the fact that, you know, I've made it quite clear that I'm not happy with the old civil rights vanguard because the only thing they did after Martin Luther King was assassinated, all they did was fatten their wallets and their stomachs. They did nothing. They went running, scattered. And this is why we're dealing with what we're dealing with now. And Al and Jesse lost control a long time ago. We're just more vocal about it. And they know they, they've they lost. And so um, just looking at this, but let me go ahead and read you another part of Michelle Alexander's, you know, piece here. It says that strategy of, quote, unquote, getting tough while at the same time eviscerating the federal social safety net was not supported by many of the black politicians he seeks to use as cover. Representative John Lewis, who Clinton referred to yesterday as the last remaining hero of the Civil Rights Movement, fiercely opposed welfare reform, accurately predicting that it would thrust more than a million more kids into severe poverty. John Lewis said back then, how can any person of faith, of conscience, vote for a bill that puts a million more kids into poverty? What does it profit a great nation to conquer the world only to lose its soul? So, I mean, you know, that welfare reform, you know, welfare to work programs, all of that, it was a big fail. And it hurt a lot of our communities. And, I mean, even now, you all hear me talking about how they're trying to push people off of Section 8, trying to push them off of welfare, trying to push them off of link, you know, better known as food stamps. And, you know, yet the federal government continues to give us the same amount of money to the states. But the state, again, you know, they have the, the ability, well, you know, they, they administer these programs. And so they do everything they can to push these people off these programs, and then they take that extra money and use it towards their pet projects. So anyway, I didn't mean to spend all this time talking about Bill and Hillary Clinton, but, you know, again, when we talk about this great American dream, this is part of it. I mean, it's relevant, it's pertinent, because, you know, the American dream was, you know, A man and a woman being married, having a house with a white picket fence. I think it was like two and a half children and a puppy or a cat in a swimming pool. So anyway, I'm just sitting here, and I'm looking because, you know, that great American dream has turned into a great American nightmare. You know, the majority of these people, you know, they lost their jobs the ones that they felt entitled to, if you will. You know, they lost their jobs. Many of them lost their homes. And what was so unfortunate in a lot of cases is that many of these homes had been paid off. And these, some of these people were convinced to go out and remortgage those homes. You have, you know, all these commercials talking to senior citizens now about reverse mortgages, You know, and so, you know, it was just, it was an era of prosperity, if you will. And this is when these prosperity preachers, these mega churches, this is when they had their major come up, you know, and why it's still prevalent now. Because in too many of our communities, you have people who are dirt poor But they say you'll never know that they're dirt poor because they're going to dress great and they're going to drive well. And I believe that that mentality is what keeps us in a lot of trouble. So, um, guys, go read, 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 read. And one thing Michelle Alexander did do, she congratulated the protesters. You know, she said they were fighting for the soul of the Democratic Party and American democracy itself. So, I mean, she she did that, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people, this wasn't published in a lot of places. So, you know, while I think quite a few of all have read it, you probably didn't. So I guess I'll go ahead and um, put that out there. But, um, you know, I'm going to post a couple of articles about Bill Clinton and what he said when he tried to defend, you know, um, his welfare reform, how nothing that came out of his mouth was true. And you all need to know this. You need to understand it. But most importantly, you need to understand and know that Hillary is not going to go back and address these things. So... It's bad. You know, again, go back, that prosperity during the Clinton era, it was because of, you know, a juiced-up economy. You know, it was inflated. They kept tossing money into the economy. And all of that prosperity, smoke and mirrors. This is why you hear me when I talk about these prosperity preachers, why you always hear me talking about, Smoking mirrors, baby. So you go and you take a look at it, and it's just a whole thing. I mean, if you want to read up some other things, I would definitely encourage you guys to go and look up um, Robert Wright and look up what he's saying about this economy. You know, even with um, Paul Krugman and, you know, a number of other economists out there. You know, I like to read some of their writing. But it's just interesting because what's happening now is white people in America, white Americans, are angry, specifically white men. You know, and that's because a lot of the privileges and entitlements that they had been promised as part of the great American dream, that's dried up. And again, this ties into what I what I I've been talking about, social contract slash racial contract, and I'm gonna to have to go ahead and read that book, um, finish reading it because I've read a part of it, but you know that's one book that I want to read in its entirety because it has a lot a lot of good information. But I mean, there is research that you all can do on your own, but. Um, You know, if you go back and you research the Tea Partiers when they first came out, you know, one of their main mantras or tropes or what have you was jobs for white men, okay, and that's, you know, go and look it up because, you know, you have a lot of white men, white people who are angry because their quality of life is declining, You know, you also have a lot more white people dying off, and so, you know, early death. And, you know, I remember posting a study about that a while ago, and then you also have a plethora of white people that are committing suicide, and all of this is happening. In addition to the white population declining, which is one of the reasons why they're trying to, you know, make abortion illegal again. And so it's just really interesting, you know, one myth that, you know, we hear often um, is meritocracy, and that's a lie. You know, and and what's interesting about that particular lie is when they use that lie, that keeps white men in power and basically, you know, that's how they're able to push women out and not allow and push people of color out. So, you know, go and look, you know, especially because, I mean, even within a lot of communities, you know, you have a lot of white men who believe that they have a dictionary behind their name that, you know, they've earned their way to be large and in charge and you know, telling the rest of us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, you know, and that has been embedded in our psyche. And, you know, it's it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And when we talk about these things and bring it to the forefront, they get angry. And, you know, I've seen black men get angry because, you know, um, especially when you have someone like myself, Um, critiquing some of their heroes who happen to be white men. And they get really, really upset. And, you know, it makes me really, really unpopular in certain communities. But I give no shit. And I'm going to continue to critique and challenge and be totally un- fucking predictable. Why? Because I want to. And I I'm at the point where I think that shit is fun. So be warned there's more coming. But yeah, so go back and look this up, you know, and you know, you know, you have this meritocracy thing here. And it tells you that, you know, these opportunities and the power that are held by these white men, if you will, they're gained because of merit, that they earned their way. No, for, for many of these people, it was handed to them. And what's interesting is, you know, some of the same working class and poor white people that were just raked over the coals by elite whites, you know, they say that type of crap to us all the time. I mean, there have been studies out that shows that some of these employers will will hire a white male with a plethora of felonies and misdemeanors on their record before they will hire a black man with a master's degree and no criminal record. How does that work? I'm just asking questions. Still using that hashtag IJAQ. Haven't had time to get on Twitter the way that I wanted to and the way that I intended to, but yeah I think I need to get back on Twitter and have a little bit of fun. For those that are looking for me on Twitter, just go and look up black free thinkers. And you can also look up people of color beyond faith. You know, um we run both accounts. So you can look that up, but um, you know, when you start talking about this meritocracy thing, you know, we have to remember that for many communities of color, attaining higher education was next to impossible at one point. And what's so interesting about it now is that black women are now the most educated people in this country. Yet our net worth is a dollar. And I believe for the black community overall, I believe our net worth is a little bit over $11,000, whereas white net worth was, is well over $100,000. How did that come to be? So that ties into that lie, another lie that we get when <laughs> you hear some of these white people saying, well, my ancestors worked hard for that money. They earned it. And you even have some white people now who are saying that they worked hard for what they have and they earned it. Actually, no. It's the people who worked for you that worked hard for the little money that you gave them. And what's so interesting is with, you know, these these bills, NAFTA, CAFTA, TPP, and many, many more, is that, you know, this is why you hear me saying that, you know, we have to start thinking a little bit more globally because now we're starting to compete on a global platform and which is driving wages down. And the American public is being told that they're not qualified for, you know, these positions. And let me tell you, I know for a fact that some of these H-1B visa holders when they come to this country to work, they don't know, they have no idea they're being trained on the job. This I know for a fact. And so, you know, we start talking about the American economy and how so-called Americans aren't skilled enough to hold some of these technical positions. That's not true. If they had more you know, training programs and gave, you know, um, Americans the same opportunities as some of these H-1B people, they would be able to catch on to the job. See, the thing is, is that many of these jobs are quite redundant. You know, and it's not hard. You know, you just have to remember certain things. And if you have a great memory, you can excel at anything. I know because I've talked about, you know, certain lawyers and doctors. They're not necessarily the brightest crayon in a box. It's just that they're able to recapitulate large volumes of information on demand. There are very few brilliant ones out there. And for all the shit that Ben Carson caught, I mean, he's a brilliant surgeon. And that's pretty much all I have to say about that. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if he gets his little position he was promised. So, anyway, so, yeah, I want you guys to go and look that up, but the American dream has turned into the American nightmare, and um, you got to start paying attention to the haves versus the have-nots, because a lot of this does boil down to money, and, you know, I'm not factoring out racism, you know, no, that plays a big part of it, too, so, I mean, like I said, it's 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 unfortunate. You know, and when we live in this type of society that we're in a very, very competitive society, not only within, you know, our particular American borders, but again, all of this has opened up. And so we're competing with people in China, we're competing with people in India and Africa and a number of places where they're getting paid pennies on the dollar. And we simply can't because, you know, we're now fighting for $15 an hour minimum wage, you know, but even with $15 an hour, there will still be, you know, an abundance of people who can't afford a one or two bedroom apartment because as these wages raise, so will rent. And, you know, I've talked about how a lot of these um, inner city apartments, And, you know, real estate, massive real estate portfolios, uh, they're owned by wealthy white men and churches. Now, let's not not fool ourselves. This is why I tell you guys to go and take a look. A lot of these nonprofits, you know, whether it's religious and some not religious, they own a portfolio of property. And they're not paying any taxes on it. So go, go and look it up. Um, You know, got these people telling us to put ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. How do you do that when you don't have any boots, let alone straps? How does that work? How does it work when there's a hole at the bottom of your boots? And whenever you try to tie them up, they get to talking to everybody. Come on. How does that work? And then you have these people tearing down the little bit of social safety net that we have. You know? You know? Huh. You got people out here, and that's what I was saying last week when they were, you know, talking to the working class and white poor on some of these news channels and how some of the responses were more um, visceral than abstract. And, you know, and the same thing that you're hearing from a lot of working class and poor whites, you're hearing in the, you know, the black and Latino community and the Native American community, and it doesn't matter if they're working class or poor. Some of these were middle, upper, upper class people. Some of them have lost all of that, but what's interesting is you're hearing the same message across the board, and that message is, and, you know, because I was one of these, trust me, I was mad about it. I was pissed. you hear me? You know, we did everything that we were told to do, went to school, got an education, got a career or a trade. Didn't have children that we couldn't really afford, worked our asses off, played by the rules, and then you still end up on your back like Charlie Brown. How the fuck does that happen? You know, they don't price us out of the ability to go back and continue our education. What's left? So, you know, what I'm saying is the same issues and problems that working class and white poor are having is happening in all of our communities as well. See, white people, when you all have a recession, that's a depression for the rest of us. Need for you to understand that. And so if you really want your eyes opened, um, go back to, you know, go back to read some information about the depression. And, you know, go back and read, because I've talked about how before the New Deal, you would have one white person to one black person unemployed. But after the New Deal, it would be one white person to two black people that were unemployed. And that has grown. And there is a reason for it. And also, you know, if unemployment or underemployment falls below a certain percentage in this, you know, country, our economy will collapse. Go look that up, too. You know, and so this is what, you know, when we start talking about white privilege, you know, this is basically, you know, what we're talking about. And, <laughs> and it exists. And it's about race, socioeconomic factors and classes, it's about education, it's about your gender, it's about your sexuality, you know, and and it puts those who were born without certain things at a disadvantage. And that's a part of that great lie, you know, and so, you know, with the meritocracy one, you know, not only does it affect um, people of color, but, you know, it systematically enables them to keep white women out of the boardroom, and now that they're trying to force them to have more children, it's just interesting because it goes back to that old adage of keep them barefoot and pregnant. Funny how that works. You know, I remember listening to my mom and my aunts when they would talk about these things, and, man, they would get heated, heated. You know, I miss those days listening to them talk about all of these things. it's it's just it's interesting. And the thing that pisses me off about it is, you know, when you start talking about these things to some white people, they'll they say, We gave you a black president. What more do you people want? Look at, you know, Obama, Michael Jordan, Oprah, Tiger Woods. Well I'm not sure about Tiger. We'll we'll table him for now. But all of these successful black people You know, what's wrong with the rest of you? And, you know, these are exceptions, you know, and the exceptions do not make the rule. But this is just another way to deflect and not talk about these issues. And, you know, one of the more problematic tropes that are out there is basically making Asian Americans, you know, you know, the model minority, if you will. And it's a lot of them fighting against that particular trope. They don't believe it. So, you know, they're in this with the rest of us. So go out, take a look. And, you know, we've talked about people tokenizing themselves, and there are a whole bunch of tokens running around in every community. And they're doing that so that they can benefit from it. Trust me. Trust me. And those are the ones that don't like to be challenged and critiqued. Well, that's never going to stop. So that's that. So, yeah, you know, you got this lie saying everybody is equal and everybody can make it. That's a lie. That's a lie. And so, you know, they'll parade one or two of them around saying, look, Look, I'm telling you, it's a trick, and they're only interested in your money, you know, and and to be able to say that they have more than one or two black people in their organization, so because they're trying to attract more, and especially with communities of color, because we've been trained to give away our money. We've been trained to give away our vote. We've been trained to take even, you know, even, you know, a, a, what a backhanded compliment as a compliment, a real compliment. And, you know, it's dangerous. You know, it's very, very dangerous. And we're living in a very dark and dangerous times. And it can go either way at this point. And so this is why I'm saying, you know, what's happening, it's a shame. And this is why we need to go and pick the poor people's campaign back up. And I know there are some people rolling their eyes, and and I'm okay with that. You know, but, you know, we need to stop shaming the poor and the working class. You know, because they've already been categorized as lazy and feeding off the government and just a number of things. And so, you know, that's why you see this revolution happening. And you know, I have a lot of theories on that, but what I love about some of these movements is that is, you know, an actual praxis. You know, is is actually happen, happening. They're taking those theories and they're putting them into play. So it's not, you know, it's it's not a theory, it's an action. And that's what we need more of. We need more people out here. We need more people protesting, putting more pressure on these, you know, politicians and voting them out when we say vote them out. And what I'm seeing now, and I'm loving it, is that, you know, the black youth are out there. They're engaged. They're excited, man, and, you know, can't leave out the Muslim youth, can't leave out the Latino and the Asian youth you know, and, you know, the LGBTQ, you know, young adults and youth, this has been beautiful. What we, what I've been experiencing, you know, for many, many years, but especially the last few years, I am so proud of these babies. I really am. I really am. I mean, you all have heard me talking about them. And, um, yeah, yeah, is it's, it's, it's amazing. So anyway, you know, there are a lot more things that you can look up in regards to the quote unquote American dream and this so called American exceptionalism, which is bullshit. There's no such thing. And then while I'm on it, I may as well talk about the talented pen. That's bullshit too. W. E. B. Du Bois backwalked that particular trope. And so I would you know I would implore or challenge you guys to go back and to read up on those things and understand why this is all bullshit, okay, and and especially now. I mean, it was bullshit then, but now, come on now. Um, go and look it up. Look it up. And, you know, it was so interesting because, huh, I find it funny when, you know, you have these different types of rallies and it starts out, you know, people giving these great speeches and it ends in, you know, the crowd chanting, USA, USA. And I look around, you know, the the camera may pan and you will see these black people and Latino people and, you know, maybe a couple, maybe one Native American and a few Asians. And, you know, sometimes I feel bad because I'm like you're rooting for a country that has done everything in its power to kill us, to expel us, especially black people. You know, the Negro problem, the black problem. Just go and look that up. Do a search on the black problem, the Negro problem. Do a search on the Talented Tent do a search on double consciousness. And this is not only pertaining to black people. This pertains to the Latino, the Native American, and the Asian communities as well because they're applying it across the board. But they use it as a weapon more so against the black community. So um, it's, it's just interesting because what's happening in this country, they're selling off anything. You hear them talking about how they want to privatize Social Security, and pretty much every damn thing that they can think of. And there is a reason for it. Look at just what happened with the stock market. Look at what happened with the mortgage industry. They were able to take all of that wealth with impunity. And that's what's going to happen again. And this is why I say that if they're going to privatize, you know, these different programs for us, they need to throw their crap in there too. They shouldn't have a private, you know. <laughs> they should have the same, you know, they should reap the same benefits that we do. And like I said last, well, a couple of weeks ago, because I took last Sunday off, when I was talking about these federal politicians, you know, the Congress, how you win one election and you receive your your salary and your benefits for the rest of your life. That needs to stop. Now, if we stop that, we'd have money. Plenty of money to do, you know, some of the other things that need to get done. But we know that's never going to happen. However, if we put enough pressure on them, I'm pretty sure we can make that happen. So who the hell knows? I'm just, you know, looking at this and kind of riffing at this point because, you know, a number of, you know, ideas or beliefs that American citizens have. You know, they're very problematic, and they've been fed these lies. And then some people can't understand why, when Americans go overseas to other countries, why they're not respected by these other countries. And, you know, right now they're having a field day with this Donald Trump thing and this American politics altogether. So, you know, I think it's important for you guys to understand we need to see the positive and the negative of, you know, these situations and knowing and understanding that a lot of this, a lot of these things, they're just lies, you know, and we're sold that American dream as children. And, you know, you're like, of course, yeah, you want to grow up, get married, you know, have a house, a couple of kids. You know, um, it's just interesting, but um, yeah, you know they find their their few that they want to tokenize, and it's interesting. Um, and then when we start talking about our ancestors and how they were slaves, you know, it has to be phrased a certain way because if we go and we say, well, our you know forefathers and foremothers were, you know sacrificing and worked hard and they look at you like you're crazy. you got some people out here trying to sell, you know, this ill-gotten notion that slavery was the life and that people of color had a better life under slavery. And there are some people out here believing that and perpetuating that shit within the black community. And so child. It's just, it's interesting. But, you know, I can understand where a lot of this anger is coming from. And when I say that, I'm talking about across the board. Because many of us have played by the rules, did what we, you know, had been expected to do, and still failed miserably, while still being kicked in our asses by these same people selling us, you know, the great American dream. And then you gotta add into that, you know, the systemic and institutionalized policies that are in place to ensure that black people and you know also indigenous people and Latino people, um, to ensure that we're not able to pull ourselves up by a bootstrap. You know, we get that rhetoric, but the game, the system is not set up to allow that to happen. And so you get these people, and we're like, we did this. We should be past this point. Yeah, but it's not designed that way. And this system is not going to deconstruct itself. And so you have a lot of people out here, you know, that when we talk about these things, you know, they put all of the, ownership on, you know, the black community when I talk to black people. And that's not true. It's not true. We didn't necessarily create the situation that we're currently facing. So, I mean, we just got to remember some people are born without boots. Some people may have some boots, but they can't afford the damn strings and um, and it's designed so that that will never happen. So, yeah, you know, we got a lot of lies out here. And American exceptionalism is bullshit. America being unique, you know, trying to say that what we've created here is unique and original, that's bullshit too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um Right now, we're just caught up in a damn nightmare. And personally, I'll I'll say it, this is for me, don't know which way to turn. All I know is I'm very much so afraid of what's happening and what can also happen. You know, we're not in the clear. And I don't see anything positive coming from this. So this is why we're telling people to stay vigilant. Definitely be aware of your damn surroundings because something is going to happen. It's going to blow up. I don't know when, where, or how, but it is going to happen. This happens every so many years in this country. Just go back and look it up. Um, Ha, you know. And also you have these people, and I'm going to say it again, America is not a democracy. We are living in a limited republic. So you need to understand the difference in terminology there. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think I'm going to wrap it up. But, again, going back to that talented 10th, you know, and double consciousness from W.E.B. Du Bois, go look that up. And for shits and giggles, you know, if you want to look up some, you know, black political drama, go and look up um, Booker T. Washington versus W.E.B. Du Bois. And if you really want, you know, some ice cream a la mode on top of it, look up Garvey, Marcus Garvey, and study up on their relationships. and They're very, very much so different um, ideologies and beliefs. And so, um, go ahead, you know, because what's happening now in this country with the dissent and, you know, these protests, you know, all of this that's happening, you know, on both sides, you know, on all of these sides, this is truly, you know, interesting. And I just, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, I I lack words, you know, about what's happening and what I'm seeing, and the type of fear that this invokes in me, and in the fear that I have for, you know, the many many children out here that you know that are going to suffer as a result of this bullshit that's getting ready to happen. So, again, this shit is toxic, and it's not going away anytime soon. You know, you know, you have these people, you know, that like to talk about how the United States was formed you got to go back and read because you got to remember the first ones over here, the first ones that came here, you got to remember, these were the Queen's bastards. They were basically getting kicked out of that country. So go back. Learn the history. That's the problem. We don't know our own history. And this is the thing I'm learning right alongside you guys, you know. And, um yeah. Yeah, go, go. <laughs> you know, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. When we are just a percentage, that's also in that document. How about that? So go look, learn, love all of those things, but understand that we're being fed a bunch of lies. And it was never meant for us to do well, let alone survive. So if you understand those things, you understand that this is just a bunch of bullshit. And it is. So, um, like I said... I'm looking forward to seeing how these next few primary and caucuses go. Like I said, Philadelphia, well, Pennsylvania, my bad. Pennsylvania, California, and New York. Yeah, that's going to be real interesting because if there is a contested Democratic Convention Yeah, it's going to be real interesting, but as it looks now, and it looks like the fix is in on both sides, you know, they're already coronating Queen Hillary. And none of us know what the hell they're going to do on the Republican side. <laughs> they just say never Trump, and they don't even like Ted Cruz. You know, he he's more unpopular than Donald Trump, but they'd rather deal with him, but at the end of the day, they don't want the delegates really to vote for him either. So, you know, there are going to be, you know, a few rounds, and if Donald Trump doesn't win the first round, you know, he's pretty much toast and they're going to vote, you know, a few times. So we shall see. Like I said, they're throwing out the names, um, Paul Ryan, Scott Walker, you know, as the possible nominee, and we're hearing conflicting stories about that, you know, and then you have Kasich who refuses to get out of the race because he thinks that they're going to put him up there. And, you know, we know good old Mitty Mitt. you know, he's not going to turn it down. If they bring it to him, so, like I say, be very freaking afraid because this is not going to end well. And when I say not going to end well, you know, white people don't really have to worry about their white privilege. That's not, you know, ever really going to change. But people of color, LGBTQ community the disabled, um, women, you know, um, undocumented immigrants, documented immigrants, and I'm leaving a couple of different categories off only because I can't think of them right now, but if you're in any of those marginalized, quote-unquote, outlying communities, you have a lot to be worried about. And if you're someone like me that are in, you know, several of these, you know, can check off several of those boxes, yeah, I'm screwed too. So this is why, you know, I'm sitting here. And, you know, the same frustration that we're seeing, you know, being aired by, you know, a lot of white people, I've been down that road. It's like played by the rules, did what I was told, all of that and you still get fucked over, you know, so it's amazing, so definitely, you know, I want to tell you guys to stay encouraged, you know, do your research, understand what's happening, you know, talk to friends and families, especially white allies out there, you know, you're anti-racist, shut that shit down, You know, there are a number of organizations out here that are part of this grassroots movement that we're seeing across this country. There are a number of ways that you can support us, you know, by having fundraisers, um, you know, making donations, uh, just a number of things. You know, I'm going to have to find some of the articles that were written specifically for white allies, you know, because we have a number of them out there marching with us, and that's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Thank you. You know, because they're tired of all this bullshit from other white people, too. So let's not get that twisted. And then some of them have children that are biracial and what have you, or grandchildren that are biracial, you know, and interestingly enough, some of these white people that think they're white, mm, something your parents may not have told you. You know, there's a black grandmother or grandfather somewhere back there. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> you know, but um, sorry about that. You know, um, times are tough. Times are tough you know, across the board, and one thing that we haven't seen in this country yet are the food riots, and, you know, I didn't even bring up the Panama Papers. That's going to be interesting. We're going to be talking about that for a long time. For those that do not have an idea what I'm talking about, just look up Panama Papers. There's been a number of things that, you know, I could have talked about, but I just kind of chose not to, but uh <laughs> you know, go out, and you know I'm still laughing, you know, I'm switching off now i'm you know, I'm kind of done with that, but um, you know, here we go, we all know I destroy people's names because I have no idea who this guy is, I guess he was some type of athlete, Bowmany Jones, balminy, however the hell you pronounce that, Mr. Jones. You know he he wore that that shirt. He wore a shirt that said Caucasians, and I guess he was some type of ESPN, you know, correspondent or a host. And um, you know, ESPN got mad and told him to take off that shirt. And what's so interesting is that a lot of people don't realize that that shirt was made in response to these white. athletic organizations using native american mascots as you know as as their mascot you know and so they started creating you know other t-shirts and this one in particular was called the you know the caucasians remember the redskins when they had all that controversy there and you got that line of phrase and the cleveland indians and you know these some of these colleges and so he wore that shirt and it pissed them off. So if you're pissed off about that, how do you think Native Americans and Blacks and these other cultures feel when you go and you know you tokenize, fetishize, you know, and and outright disrespect our communities? Was well, good for the goose is good for the gander. Yes. No. Maybe. All right, guys, love you. See you next week. Take it easy, and thanks for joining me. Bye-bye.